Right, so here's the crazy thing about narcissists, that they, in their mind, try and convince themselves that they have all this control and everyone's intimidated by them and, weirdly, they will brag about upsetting people. But they're actually really, really miserable and that is the real karma. It's not how miserable they make other people because eventually we all get away from them or we don't have to spend 24 hours a day inside that mindset. But narcissists actually are really, really miserable. Everyone I've ever met, they'll say things that give it away. Like um, my ex used to say, everyone in the world is a bottomless pit of hate and they're all out to destroy each other. And I thought, oh, my God, imagine seeing the world like that. And why didn't you tell me this before we got together? <laughs> um, but And then another one I, I grew up with in our family, she used to cry herself to sleep every night because she thought everyone hated her as much as she hated them. So that is, I mean, karma isn't what Hollywood movies portray where there's justice and the good guys win and the good guy, you know, the, the nice guy prevails. That's Hollywood. Karma is actually the reap what you sow. If you are full of hate, you will see the world as if everyone else is full of hate. Or if you cheat, we know this. Cheaters always think everyone else is cheating on them. Or nasty people think everyone's nasty. Dishonest people assume everyone's dishonest. And by the way, a lot of the time we don't hang out with people that are nasty. And so literally being by choice, being nasty has the effect that they end up with nice people avoiding them. And that's, you see this with narcissists where they know that people don't want to spend time with them. So they'll manipulate situations or they'll use money with their children to try and force their children to be obliged to spend time with them versus just giving for the sake of giving or being generous. There's always a give with an angle. So, um, you know, there's some red flags. There's the obvious red flags that we know, which is amazing that people are getting more aware of this now. So remember it used to be the red flag of watch how they treat the waiter. Or uh, I know what I find more accurate is watch how they treat service staff. So if they ring up, um, ring up like an electricity company and abuse the customer service because there's no... They, are, they don't know how to negotiate or how to have a win-win. There is no concept of win-win with a narcissist. It's I have to win and you have to lose. So the minute they're not getting their way, they'll fly into rage or fly into abuse, even though they know they're wrong, and they'll accuse you of crazy things, and that's part of the abuse pattern because you'll be busy trying to prove that you didn't do the crazy thing they're accusing you of, even though they know. So they'll make things up just to try and find the rescuer who will tolerate it, who will try and fix it for them, even <laughs> though if you actually fixed it, now they're angry because now they've got to make up a new drama. So a bit more about that sort of karma thing. You know, like we have been misled that, that nasty people eventually get their own. And while it's true that sometimes, you know, the good guys prevail, usually that's the Hollywood movie, um, like I always say, you know, you want a happy ending, go and watch a film. But it really is this karmic thing of living in that mindset all the time is horrible. Um, you, can't, you can't get away from them fast enough. So even if you have a strategy to deal with the narcissist where you the strategies are ignore them, 
make fun of them, mock them, you know, just don't react. It's still exhausting. It's still exhausting walking on eggshells. It's still exhausting being on guard all the time. It's still unpleasant being around them, which is why I say, imagine being in that mind and that body all day, every day, 24-7, versus how exhausting we find it just to be around them for two minutes. Uh, with clients, I often use an example from a kid's movie called Monsters, Inc., how the monsters used to scare the children and to try and suck the energy. And that was how they got power for them from the power grid. They'd scare a child and the child would scream. And, then, and that's literally how a narcissist works. But there's a lot more energy flow between people when you actually have joy and laughter and love. However, narcissists aren't capable of empathy. They're just not capable of connection. They don't feel it. They don't see the point in it. So the Monsters, Inc. thing is, is literally a good example. Another thing to watch out for is how they treat their enemies or how they speak about a stranger. Like I said, we know about the waiter. You know, they know that you'd be nice to the waiter or you'd be fake charming to the waiter. But the new trick is to ask them to describe a total stranger because of projection. How we see others is really a reflection of ourselves. Like if you think everyone's a nice person, it's because you're a nice person. If somebody says everyone's dishonest, or if someone says, trust me, obviously, but if someone thinks everyone's dishonest, it's a reflection of them. So I was on a coffee date once at about sort of after school, four or five o'clock, and with a guy who had, my body was, I was on edge around him, but I, my brain hadn't caught on why. So I was getting an uneasy feeling, but I hadn't seen any evidence for it. And a mum walked in with two teenage kids in a private school uniform. The mum looked exhausted and the kids were hungry and cranky. They were behaving, everyone was behaving, they were being nice, but that was the, just the ob objective uh, situation. And this guy launched into this whole tirade about what a stuck-up bitch this woman was and look at her, she thought she was too good for him. He's on a date with me. She's walked up to the counter 30 feet away. She hadn't noticed him. And he went in this tirade about ranting about how much, like all these made-up, projected, horrible things about this poor woman, which astounded me. And it was, I was like, thank God I saw it so quickly. So this is the thing, when you see it so quickly, because it was there was no point in me trying to use logic to explain to him, this woman's just tired, one, you don't know her, why are you making these things up about her? Because they're not logical. By the way, very few humans really are logical. We do see the world through our own subjective view of the world. And if you pay attention, you're not going to get the horrible surprise of blindsided as like, oh, my God, why didn't I see the red flags? We do, but the problem is that as a rescuer, they will a rescuer will try and fix the problem because we assume that a rescuer will assume that the person wants help and love and support to fix the problem. And they're like, often when you ask a rescuer, they'll say, I want to be there for them because nobody was there for me. However, the narcissist does not want the problem fixed. The narcissist will get angry if the problem's fixed because now they've got to make up a new imaginary thing in order to play the victim, in order to pretend that they're the victim and not be accountable for their behaviour. We all know that one of the things a narcissist does is blame everybody else because while you're blaming, you are not fixing 
And if you're blaming, you are not taking any ownership of solving the problem. And so there are, look up red flags, green flags, relationship green flags. I talk about these a lot. Best thing ever, it's what to look for. You know, the the person who's happy for you. Um, I remember the narcissist in my family, one of her uh, students actually ended up doing really well and becoming really successful in a completely different field. And this woman was just so venomous and was telling, you know, when when Steph went to her and said, look what I've done and look at all the work I've done, she just shredded her. And I said, why did you do that? And she said, well, I don't want her to be successful then she won't need me. Then she'll have no reason to come to me if she, if she can make it on her own. And it was just this whole thing of why would I help someone else if that might, because narcissists see everything as I have to win and you have to lose. And if someone else is winning, it's almost like a scarcity belief. If someone else gets something good, then they can't have it. And they don't know how to get something good unless they take it from someone else. And it's the saddest thing ever. It just amazes me that these narcissists and how they see the world, and it must be just horrible. It must be exhausting to always have to have a strategy and think everyone's an attack. And and it... Because I know it's exhausting dealing with a narcissist for two minutes. And look, we we often conflate narcissist abuse and abuser and and abuse. The only thing that narcissists, and they do overlap, like the Venn diagram's almost a circle, but the, the one thing they really have in common, the common theme is deliberate malice, as opposed to someone who is just really insecure and really self-absorbed because we've all got friends who are really wrapped up in their own problems uh, or really really selfish or really self-absorbed and they're miserable but that's different than narcissism because self-absorbed can come from a place of anxiety or insecure or really struggling but malice is the malice is the thread that separates the two okay so this is how i taught Beck how to spot a narcissist because she kept coming to me, this client, and saying, I keep being betrayed by people. I keep being betrayed by people and I'm blindsided. And I thought she's just not paying attention to the warning signs. And there's also another thing going on, which is an unconscious belief and that's attracting it. Like it's you're putting energy into the same situations over and over again to try and resolve unresolved things from the past over and over again. So it's like... This is a symptom of unresolved trauma. If you keep going into a pattern like this that's unhealthy and keep trying to fix it as an adult, you couldn't fix it as a kid. We know this. So how I got Beck to spot it in people, even if she hadn't yet seen the toxic behaviour, was now Beck used to be a nurse. So she understood the concept of drawing blood. This will be relevant in a minute. How I started, we stood her in so using the spatial technique I stood her in a part of the room where there was space to imagine the five people she had a story of betrayal around just imagine them lined up like the usual suspects so just imagine them standing uh, two feet apart in a row in front of her with her eyes closed so she's using a different part of her brain or accessing uh, unconscious or imagination I got her to turn and eat one at a time just tune into each person. Just imagine that person in front of her, 
how it felt with them in front of her and uh, just tune into where in her body it felt uneasy, where her body was sending her the signals. And so the first one, she just felt queasy. And then with clients who do this, they almost always have the same feeling in their body with each time this pattern shows up. So for one person, I might be queasy. For one person, they might feel panic. But Beck just said, honestly, it felt like she was just being drained, like her energy was being sucked out of her, like her joy was being sucked away. And because she used to be a nurse, I gave her the analogy of it's like they're draining your life force. It's like they're taking, because she sort of was like, you're taking your blood. So we had a conversation around it. And she was like, you know how when you, somebody takes your blood and it leaves you feeling drained and cold? And so we use the analogy of it's like they're sucking out your life force, which she instantly got. She had, she got the concept. She had a feeling in her body that matched it. So now when she was around someone, she could go, oh, there's that feeling. And know straight away that was the feeling. And that was the warning sign for her that that person had that pattern and was going to behave in that way. Now, betrayal. I have a thing around betrayal that if you are paying attention, you'll notice it, but we, we're not logical beings. We do the same stupid things over and over again. And most people have most of their lives together and then have one area that's just a complete mess. Most people do. So there's, uh, I used to be friends with this guy, Nick, and he used to say to me, I'm psychic, I, I can see what people are like. He, he was making a joke. And he said, don't you know I'm psychic? People never let me down because I ignore all their promises and I look at their actions. And he said, I, I don't listen to all the empty promises. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I just pay attention to what they actually do. I pay attention to how they treat people. I pay attention to how they do business. I pay attention to how they play sport. If I see them fuck someone over in a card game or, you know, in just a game for fun, I know they will have no qualms about, you know, destroying someone in business or being just as unethical in business. If they are nasty or if they are not honest with little things, that will come across in other ways because pe people are consistent. They really are. And they don't surprise us when we pay attention. The problem is so often we're so busy thinking, oh, well, everyone's like us. It, the number of clients I've had who assume someone is nice just because they are a nice person amazes me. And it, we don't want to end up being cynical. We don't want to end up walking around guarded. But the best way to not have to walk around on guard all the time is to have nice people in your life or have good people in your life so that you don't have to constantly be on guard, so that you don't keep getting destroyed. I know in my 20s, I used to say, I'd give people three chances to, to fuck me over. And I thought that was kind of stupid because they usually show their true colours the first time. Why was I letting it, them do it two more times? You know, if someone shows you that they have no conscience, you don't have to give them two more chances. It's, uh, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote, when people show you who they are, pay attention, something like that. Uh, when people show you their true colours, believe them. And usually they will actually give it away. Like cheaters will go, oh, I always, you know, cheat on everyone. Or I knew 
a guy who ended up being accused of rape like three times. But when we first met him through work, he used to always go on and on and on. Oh, I'm terrified of getting accused of rape. I'm terrified with the Me Too movement that I'm going to get accused of rape. And we thought at the time, why would you be afraid of being accused of rape? And obvious in hindsight was that his behaviour was so abominable. Of course he was afraid. He was afraid of being caught. He wasn't afraid of being accused. He was afraid of being caught. He was afraid of consequences. But his words were giving away his nature. Because nice, good people don't run around being terrified of something unless they've got a... There's usually a reason. It might be, look, it might be trauma. Uh, there isn't proviso on that being accused of something. If you've grown up with an abusive parent, you're used to being accused of crazy things you haven't done. Uh, but that's not that's not the same thing. That's a that's a whole other bag of baggage to carry around and trauma.